0: This is the biggest story in the world.
1: We will look back on these times and we will think what on earth were we
0: doing? From The Guardian. This is a story about people and this is a story about possibility. The story the editor-in-chief Alan Rusbridger has chosen as his last big hurrah. You can't imagine a bigger story. His final legacy before he stands down as leader of the newspaper after two decades in charge. It's a story that affects
1: us all. I mean, our children's children will be staggered at our idiocy.
2: It's clearly the most important story that we could be thinking about, and yet you scan the daily newspapers and it's almost absent. It is the story.
0: And for this podcast, this particular story starts.
3: On Christmas Eve, when Alan Rusbridger sent out an email to a number of people...
0: ...20 colleagues or so. Uh, I think I got round to reading my...
2: Emails at 10 o'clock while still packing presents. He wanted to do one last really dramatic project before he
0: finished being editor in chief of the paper. Alan had been at home,
2: uh, settling into a comfortable armchair next to my log fire, burning carbon. I wondered why he wasn't packing Christmas presents. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Whether Lindsay was doing it
0: all for him. <laughs> His email went.
2: Colleagues, this time next year, I won't be the editor of The Guardian. Indeed, well before that, I'll have stepped down. He told an
3: interesting story about having been speaking to Gordon Brown when he was Prime and Minister.
2: Knows
5: the we made.
2: We and I could all tell all that he was terribly depressed i think he thought that he was going to lose the general election Um, and
3: Alan asked him well you know actually you've been given a chance most people would absolutely love you can be prime minister for a year you know imagine all the things you could do i
2: tried to turn the conversation around to him and said but look gordon you've got a year left as prime minister many people that would be their dream what are you going to do with that year
0: i'm not at all depressed alan continued This is the right time to be moving on. But I do have an urge to do something powerful, focused, and important with The Guardian while I'm still here, and it will be about climate change.
2: It was clear that it got got the climate bug in a a big way.
0: Alan had caught climatitis, he said, in Sweden.
2: Well, Alan and I, were uh, in Stockholm, in Sweden. And we were there, uh, oddly enough, to get prizes. Uh, This so-called Right Livelihood Award, they sometimes call the Alternative Nobel. I met um, Bill McKibben, who is a campaigner, former journalist for an organization called 350.org. And Bill spends his whole life uh, campaigning on, on climate and we had lunch, and it was an excellent luncheon. I felt a bit guilty, as I always do, about our environment coverage, just because it's one of those things that, by the standards of other papers, you could say we do quite well, but I'm, I'm conscious that it slips off the agenda. I said, if you were going to do one thing, what would you do? So I told him. Look, you guys have done fantastic reporting on the environment, on science. But it's no longer an environment story. This is a story where the, where the science is settled, uh, and it's now all about politics and economics. So if you don't mind me saying so, you're a bit old-fashioned in what you're doing. Bill's got a fantastic way of boiling the whole argument down to three facts, which for someone who's not very good at
1: numbers like me is very helpful.
2: Leave it in the ground.
1: Keep oil in the soil and the coal in the hole. That's Bill's simple proposition. It's the only way forward.
0: You actually can't use the majority of the reserves that have been identified by fossil fuel companies. You have to keep it in the ground. And as Bill would say, here's the simple math behind it. There are really three
4: numbers that you need to know to understand the argument. The first number one is two degrees. That is the threshold for dangerous climate change. Really that's the point at which the kinds of changes that we're seeing around the world will get start to get really nasty. The, the second figure is... Wait, hold up.
0: Why two degrees? Two degrees is... Well, it, the...
5: two degrees is... The history of the two degrees target is... Two degrees is one of those fraught numbers. Well, two degrees is a pretty arbitrary target. It's a political construct. emerged in the 1990s as scientists were
2: first trying to understand exactly where the thresholds were with climate change.
5: I mean, it is by no means an ideal one because two degrees of warming is likely to do an awful lot of harm to a lot of people and a lot of places.
2: The trouble is we're on a pathway at the moment, and the way we're emitting carbon now, the way we're burning coal and gas and oil to raise the temperature four or five degrees centigrade this century.
5: That's this century. It doesn't stop at 2100. When you consider that the difference between today and the last ice age is four degrees.
4: I mean this is not about polar bears, this is about real effects on human beings, we're talking about water scarcity, we're talking about food scarcity. Many parts of the world are likely to become uninhabitable, unfarmable, there'd be too much
5: water in some places, too little water in others. So we might, you know, set something in motion which eventually would destroy New York City, would destroy London, would destroy most of the world's great cities.
3: Perhaps the neatest summary is from a man called John Shellon, and he said the difference between 2 degrees centigrade and 4 degrees centigrade warming is civilisation.
4: The, the second figure is... 565 gigatons.
0: I'll say that again. Number two, 565 gigatons. Now,
4: that's the amount of carbon dioxide that we can safely release into the atmosphere and still have a reasonable chance of staying below two degrees. That is kind of a carbon budget, if you like. That is the amount that we have to stick to or try to before things start getting really bad.
0: We just get to release 565 more gigatons of carbon dioxide. That's it. Any more? and we're in danger of going over two degrees. But guess what? The third number... Number three. And this is
4: kind of the scary number, is 2,795 gigatons. Now, that's the amount of carbon dioxide that would be released if all of the fossil fuel reserves that we know about already were dug up and burned. The, The amount of carbon that is the basis for the value of all the big oil companies that are already there, and and of course that value is based on the assumption that all of that carbon is going to get burned. You will have noticed that 2,795 is a lot bigger than 565. In fact, about five times more. And so the real challenge here is how do we keep that amount of carbon in the ground? Leave it in the ground. One last point, and that is that we're spending billions looking for new reserves going to, very often, very difficult places to dig up fossil reserves in the Arctic, trying to extract tar sands in Canada, even at a time when we've got far too much that we can burn already. So there there is a real sort of intellectual disconnect there.
2: Bill's simple proposition and his urgently was, this stuff has to be kept in the ground, it cannot be dug up. Uh, And therefore, if you want one focus for what the Guardian should do, It should be about keeping the stuff in the ground.
0: Keep it in the ground. The journalists kept reading. This is fantastic. Hearts beating. Great. Scrolling down.
3: I was absolutely delighted.
0: I thought it was really exciting. I thought it was something I wanted to be a part of.
1: This is the first time in my experience that any editor of any national paper anywhere in the world has taken climate change really seriously as a major issue, and has understood it to be an existential problem, a, literally a problem of, of existence.
2: This is something I've been passionate about for a long time. If the weight of The Guardian, uh, which is a really formidable, exciting organization, could swing behind this, we might actually manage to change the political climate. So in the new year, I'd like a group of us, including those I'm copying this to, to meet and brainstorming what exactly we can do to have the most effect. I want the focus to be narrow and forceful. So of course there are numerous other angles, important angles, one could plausibly do. But I would like this to have a single focus, if we agree this is the right one. So between now and then, firstly, if you have thoughts on how we might do this, please drop me a note over Christmas and New Year. Do you agree with the main focus, as proposed by McKibben? And secondly, I'm going to assemble a team to do this. Do you want to be in on it? It's obviously a bit urgent in more sense than one, but that's sometimes how we do our best work. So, see you in 2015, and apart from reading these pieces I've attached, have a great break. Alan
4: I think I might have been a little too drunk to respond to that email at the time, but I did have a think of it over Christmas and uh, had a bit of time to read a couple of things to familiarise myself with books that I'd meant to read, yeah, and send him a response. Then, the cold light of day.
2: The problem with this story, which is why journalism has, if we're honest about it, failed is that it's so big and it doesn't change much from day to day so what you know journalism is is brilliant at capturing momentum or changes or things that are unusual if it's basically the same story every day every week every year then i I think journalists
3: lose heart some ways i'm perhaps not the best person to ask given that i've been embedded in the existing narrative for, for the last six or seven years Certainly this is something to which a lot of thought is given. Um, A lot of the narrative around climate change has been around catastrophe, disaster, drought, flood. I think that is an important place where a new narrative could be very useful, but it's been difficult to establish that new narrative.
5: We've been really bad at changing the story where climate change is concerned. We, We carry on flogging a load of dead horses, and flogging them in exactly the same way, with exactly the same whip, and you know, it doesn't work. And so we we just have constantly to be reinventing our storytelling capacity. It
1: may be reinventing the wheel for new audiences in the sense that there is very little of the journalism which hasn't been done. I mean, we know, we know what's going on in Africa, we know the science, we've faithfully been to every meeting, so in a way, it's a question of how do you present it in such a way as it, as it is fresh and it gives new impetus to, to, um, to, to, to a new generation of people, um, because the, the danger is that, you know, everyone thinks, oh, we know about climate change, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is that we don't know that much and we forget very, very quickly. So that's, that's the challenge. What can you do that lifts this
2: beyond something that people are bored of reading about or can't bear to read about? What can you do that will force them to sit up and pay attention?
0: Some might say that Alan should have thought about this a while ago. He's had 20 years in power editing the paper. He could have Now he's only got six months left. At last. <laughs> is it too little too late? And is there really a new story to tell? A golden bullet that will shake up the
1: world? There is a remarkable similarity. I mean, the number of world leaders who, when they leave office, suddenly become environmentalists is quite extraordinary. I've seen it happening around the world. Every, every great prime minister becomes a, a tries to become a, a, a great environmentalist.
0: But Alan, just six months, it's really quite brave. <laughs> do you think you can do this?
2: Yeah, it may, maybe it's something you just do at the end of your leadership when it doesn't matter so much. He wanted it to be his valedictory campaign for the paper. I can't think of actually a... A better campaign to go out on, really. I mean, it is the story because on any on any reasonable analysis, this is the most important story of our lifetime. You know, if you're actually talking about this being our final century uh, as a as a species, and the, and the, the, what we do in the next ten years could determine the future of the human race, and so maybe at the end of that, you think, well. Who cares if we if we don't win this one? It's better to have tried, uh, and and really awful not to have tried.
0: If Alan and the team do this right, this could change the world. But if they don't, it could bring down the editor and the paper, hitting its reputation and maybe even its finances. We're letting you in, no holds barred. We've got microphones everywhere. Alan's office is tapped. Editorial meetings, pitches for resources, for commissions, for advertising campaigns. We'll make mistakes, you will hear them. We know so many people have tried this already, us too, and we might not succeed. And we're letting you hear so you learn what we learn. Know what works and what doesn't. Next week, the team gathers to choose a direction.
5: We want to change the world, and I think this is why Alan has brought us together today, then we've got to actually deploy the measures which are going to change the world. And that's only going to happen through acting at the political level to lay down regulations which say those fossil fuels are going to stay in the ground.
2: Yeah, one, one of you, make your mind up. Where I have my concerns is that there's a lot of crossover between Ownership and, and governments, I mean, look Russia owns most of the resources that are underground. Changing Putin's view in the next 12 months is going to be a bit of a
0: hard, hard one. And if they make the wrong decision, then they'll have taken a wrong turn right from the beginning. The Biggest Story in the World is narrated by me, Alex Kretosky. It's produced by Alana Chance, Lindsay Poulton, Matt Hill, Nabila Shabir and Lucy Greenwell. Original music is by Pascal Wise. Head of audio is Jason Phipps, and the executive producer is Francesca Panetta. We'll be back next week. Subscribe.